There are so many things that threaten to knock us off our path when we're trying to eat in a healthier way. In this episode, the CrossFit EdResult coaches will share their best tips, tactics, and strategies for eating in a healthy way when time is short, when it's the holidays and temptations abound, when your spouse, your kids, your family, when they don't want to change how they eat, when money is tight, when you don't feel like tracking calories or proteins or fats or carbs or sugar or whatever, or when you don't want to be on a diet forever. So a ton of super useful information coming down the pipeline. Stick around. You're going to love this episode. Welcome to the CrossFit Edwardsville Community Podcast, where we hear and learn from our coaches, CrossFitters, and Glen Ed community leaders. Now, here are your hosts, Dallas and Greg. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the CrossFit Edwardsville Community Podcast, where uh, first we're getting to meet and really know more about some of our coaches, our CrossFitters, and the CrossFit Edwardsville community. And uh, this is really an opportunity for us to create an avenue for those people above that I just mentioned to kind of share their stories. And then also we want to be able to learn more about locally owned businesses and some of the people and characters behind them. So I'm your co-host. I'm Dallas Hamston. I am also the host of the Men of Faith and Fire podcast. Uh, and I've got the opportunity today to interview three of our nutrition coaches and thought leaders here at the CrossFit Edwardsville community. Coach Kelsey Albers. Welcome, Kelsey. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks. Awesome. Gene Skell, Coach Greg Skelly himself. How are you doing, brother? Feeling good today, man. Feeling good. Thanks for asking yourself. I'm doing well. And uh, and then, as always, the incomparable Coach Sean Crocker. What's up, Sean? Uh, not much. How about you, Dallas? I'm doing well. The look on your face just then when I said incomparable, uh, it took me a second. But uh, I don't actually know that I know what that word means. You, you cannot be compared to anyone else. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. I'll take it. Sure, take it. Um, <laughs> so just to tell you, everybody who's listening here, uh, just to tell you a little bit about our coaches here, this is kind of part two of a nutrition conversation that we started on the last episode of the, of the podcast. Uh, but Kelsey, is she's a wife, a mother. She is a nutritional therapy practitioner. She's a strength coach, and she's a regenerative farmer. Um, she is the founder of Ignite, Nourish, Thrive. That's a health coaching practice where she shares her continuing journey to balance living with multiple sclerosis, being a wife and a mom, and living a radically authentic life. Uh, she's responsible, directly responsible for hundreds, hundreds of jaw-dropping physical, emotional, and relational transformations in people who've worked with her uh, and they she helps them dial in their healthy eating habits so um g skell greg skelly he's uh he's a husband a father he's the ceo of crossfit edwardsville but he's also a doctor of physical therapy uh he's spent the last 18 years learning and practicing the art the science and, and the psychology of nutrition so that he can help people look better feel better and perform better and um He's managed personally to maintain a sub 10% body fat for over a decade, which is an impressive thing for those of you who've lost it and gained it back and lost it and gained it back and lost it and gained it back. G has the uh, G scale has all the secrets on how to lose it forever and never find it again. <laughs> and he's uh, he actually uh, competed as a CrossFit competitor. And um, he's now pushing 40 years old, but he's in some of the best shape of his life. Uh, getting new PRs all the time when I'm with him at the gym. So welcome, G. Good to have Thanks. you here, brother. 
Good to be and, here. Um, for Sean, I did mention that he is incomparable, but I'm going to tell you a little bit else about him also. He is a WAG credentialed nutrition coach, and um, he works with it's the Working Against Gravity organization, WAG, Working Against Gravity. He's also AFAA and NASM approved in coaching programs, and he empowers his clients to lose the weight, gain muscle, increase performance, and feel better than ever through the power of a real customized one-on-one -on -one nutrition coaching system. Uh, he also this year was the Edwardsville Intelligencer's award-winning best fitness and weight loss nutrition coach for 2020. So congratulations on that, Sean. He is the programmer here at CrossFit Edwardsville and uh, just recently joined the nutrition coaching team. So great to have you all on. And um, last time in the episode, uh, in our previous episode, we kind of talked a lot about some of the misconceptions or misconceptions about nutrition. Uh, today, what we really want to talk about is this idea of understanding and clarifying some nutrition obstacles. So I think it worked pretty well for us to just round table the discussion and me to, to lob it at each of you. And none of you were quite prepared when I lobbed it to you, but you all answered like pros that you are. So uh, this is great. So as we kind of talk about this understanding and clarifying nutrition obstacles. And then just one other thing, everybody, before we get into the conversation is, as always, uh, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast, but uh, you can get more resources at CrossFitEdwardsville.com, uh, eBooks and nutrition information, as well as uh, learn how to be a part of the CrossFit community here at CrossFitEdwardsville.com. So there are three big obstacles um, that you all have mentioned to me offline, and uh, we're going to talk about each one of them individually a little bit. But just to name them all up front, three obstacles that you hear a lot from your coaching, from your nutrition coaching clients. Number one is time. Number two is social or peer pressure. And then number three is the money situation. So I think time, obviously, obstacles like money and social pressures, those are those are secondary to the one that is a big commodity for all of us, and that's the idea of time. And we talked a little bit about this in some of the misconceptions last week, but Kelsey, I'm going to throw it at you first here, Coach Kelsey. Um, talk to me a little bit about this obstacle that you hear when you, like, let's first talk about the obstacle, and then let's talk about some solutions. What's some of the main things you hear about people when it comes to time? Well, so eating healthy, it takes time, right? Like we, it's way easier to go through the drive-thru. It's easier to get pre-made meals. It's easier to do all of these things where we're releasing a lot of the control of what we put in our body to somebody else. So um, you just have to, when you're, when you're making this switch, there is just a lot of time, the time it takes to go to the grocery store, the time it takes to look up and find recipes, the time it takes to prep and cook and clean up, right? Like I can do all of those, but I hate cleaning up, right? So um, there's all of these things that sort of uh, snowball and all of a sudden people who make the switch from letting somebody else do it to doing it themselves, um, just like sometimes hit a brick wall to be like, ooh, like I did not know that I was signing up for all of this. Sure, sure. Uh, Gee, what about you? What's, what's some of the other time obstacles you kind of hear about? There's a bunch that I hear quite often. What I hear a lot, for example, people say that they're too tired at the end of a long day to even think about trying to make something healthy. 
but it just it takes so long to make a real meal for multiple people when you have a family every day or they say they just don't have time to cook every day sometimes people are slammed at work and it just seems like one more thing to have to do sure making more food now, related to that like some people just they don't want to spend the time thinking about it or they say i can't afford to spend the time thinking about eating or healthy eating or whatever and I, uh, I know I know Kelsey will appreciate this that you know some people they just don't want to have to look for the super organic gluten-free grass-fed soy-free free-range keto approved grass-finished kombucha infused paleo friendly certified non-gmo sugarless and conflict free version of every condiment they ever consume she's definitely smiling being, at that <laughs> while also being sure that Did there's you just fewer my ingredients yeah that's so funny. Uh, Sean, what about you? What's some of the, uh, what's some of the thinking or ex reasoning you've heard behind the time problem? Uh, I think Greg and Kelsey pretty much covered it. Like it's for me, I like, I live a mile and a half down the street from the gym and I probably pass four or five different fast food restaurants. Sure. It's so much simpler and time efficient to just stop there on the way home. And uh, you know, it's, until you kind of get into like the habit setting and you kind of figure out like with anything, the first time you do it, it's going to take infinitely longer, right? Like, the, I mean, you kind of enter in like any skill or any hobby that you have. The first time you knitted a, you knitted a quilt, it took months. It's the hundredth time it takes a, a day, right? Yeah. So it's just kind of getting, kind of getting through that, that early learning curve and figure out how you can, shave off time here and there how you can kind of set yourself up for better success and not just fall back into the well i only have like an hour before i have to go pick the kids up i'm just going to go to wendy's right that's uh one of the things a key word that you just said there that stuck out to me sean was this idea of habit setting and um and so i think that might be a good place for us to talk uh g you had mentioned a moment ago too you know end of the day I know one of the biggest things for me is by the end of the day, the resilience is low. It's not that I don't have necessarily time at the end of the day, except for, except for I came in late and like rushing to get something done before I get voraciously hungry and know that the chips are in the pantry, so to speak. But, um, but when resilience is low, bad decisions get made quickly. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't think I'm alone in that. Maybe I am. You all can you all can tweet me or let me know uh, if I'm alone in that. But I think resilience is low, fatigue is high, frustration may be high, bad decisions are on the horizon every time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so when it comes to the time obstacle, um, there's kind of a few habits that I know that you all have expressed to me. Let's talk at some of uh, some of that habit setting. We've got the end of the day habit, but also we've got kind of the prep for the week habit and several other things. So let's jump into some of the habit setting that might work. Um, Sean, where do you kind of, where do you start when it comes to habit setting for a new client? Uh, I think it's important to realize that like not everybody's, every single, like seven days a week, we're not booked from like 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. Like everyone has, depending on, you know, everyone's schedule's a little different, but we all have, generally speaking, lighter days. Right. Like for a lot of people, I kind of look at like Sundays, you know, yeah. maybe that's just me because I miss the day I'm off work. But generally speaking, like Saturday, Sundays, that's kind of family time. Most people are off if you work a regular like Monday through Friday job. Um, so front loading some of that 
that struggle, that time commitment, the, the times you're going to spend prepping and planning, the time you're going to start making food and kind of getting things set aside for the week, front loading those kind of on the days that you actually have that extra time, I find can, can really start to set you up for success. Because, I mean, you brought up having like chips and that, you know, that could be anything. It could be chips or Oreos or whatever, like replacing that with stuff that's already made and healthy and nutritious and wholesome that, I mean, you just say, you basically just took the one argument of having crap ready. Now you have healthy stuff ready, right? Okay. It makes it a lot easier to, yeah. to, to get it if it's already ready, it's already mixed, it's already cooked really well, and it's already just sitting there waiting for you. Yeah, one of the things I know is, um, you know, the success for the week begins the night before. So, so Kelsey, for you, let's talk about that habit setting of prepping for the week and what that looks like. So I have a uh, whole system that I use for myself. Um, and the first thing I do is um, get out your calendar and one, find time to prep in it. Like Sean already mentioned, I think that's really, really important. But two, and it doesn't have to be, I have my calendar right in front of me here. It doesn't have to be like super detailed, but on Can the right we pause of my calendar. This old school calendar, what is going on here? She, ladies and gentlemen, she is pen and paper spiral bound. You should see that my office is like a graveyard of notebooks because I collect them and hoard them. I love it. Fantastic. (laughs) Um, But but I, so I just write my meals in and then while I'm writing my meals, I have my phone and I'm looking up recipes for those meals. If I don't know them off the top of my head, I'm thinking through what I have in the fridge and pantry and writing it down. So the actual plan or the actual process of figuring out meals um, grocery list and prep plan takes me about 20 to 25 minutes. And I really like the analogy that Sean do, used to use earlier of the quilt that it takes longer the first time and then you get faster and faster. Like that is definitely yeah. true with meal planning and prep. Like get it written down. You're more likely to follow through if it's written in your calendar, computer or paper. Um, however you want to do it is great. It just, you have to find a system that works for you to keep track of that and to, to create a system that works for you. That's good. And G-Scale, so I know you've got thoughts on um, the elimination of temptation and things like that as well. But what's some of the first of week habit setting? I know, Kelsey, you mentioned there a second ago, too, um, this idea of prepping for the grocery trip or like to prep that out. So, G, can you kind of talk to some of those other uh, obstacles when it comes to prepping at the beginning of the week? A little bit, sure. I do want to reinforce what Kelsey and Sean said that I do think it's really valuable to batch your food prep to one time spot each week and make it a regular ritual. For a lot of people, Saturdays or Sundays is the best time for that because once you kind of get into that zone of meal prep, then you can kind of get a rhythm going and you can get a lot done in the space of just a few hours. And that few hours of prep time on the weekend pays off big, big dividends over the week because then you don't have to think about where your food or your next meal is going to come from at all. All you have to do is warm it up and go. And related to that, food, almost all food will last at least a week in the fridge. Yeah. I've, I've encountered some folks that have some, they've, they've maybe been discouraged at some point or somebody had told them that won't last long enough. So there's that. We have a few other strategies that I think are really helpful as well. One is, I don't think that most people should expect themselves to be producing like very fancy gourmet or highly complicated meals with 
hints of this or wisps of that. <laughs> now, unless that's your thing, that's what you enjoy. But like right off the bat, if you're fairly new to food prep, it's okay to keep things really, really simple. I think most people would be absolutely shocked if they if they saw how unsophisticated the majority of my food prep is. Like majority of the time I'm getting like, you know, a palm's worth of protein, filling the rest of my plate with vegetables and then a thumb's worth of fat. Mission accomplished. Done. It's like ABC most of the time. So that sounds like a it sounds like an anti foodie opinion. You know, I remember Sean said, Sean said in our last conversation that, uh, if you, uh, if you think eating healthy is bland, then, uh, then you don't know how to cook or you don't know good food. Um, but, but what you just said there sounds almost like new, um, what would it be a nutrition, uh, lineup, production lineup, like the Ford model P factory that just moved things through the production lineup. Is that kind of how you view now, is that breakfast, lunch, and dinner for you, G? Or what? What? How often do you prep, or how many meals per day do you prep on a Sunday? I'll. Well, I make all my breakfasts fresh. And don't get me wrong, I absolutely love food. I, I just want to go ahead and throw it out there that you don't have to be an executive chef in order to make this work. Like this can be really, really, really easy. You know, a benefit that I have, and some people have this also is I'm okay with having the same meal over and over again. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not a variety junkie or if you can handle repetition, taking the time once to develop like a go-to set of on-plan, balanced, easy recipes you can just put on repeat, that's an awesome strategy. I know some people are like, they really love to have variety and they want that in their diet. So this may not be a strategy for them, but it's one that definitely works if you're the kind of person that's okay with repeating things. On a, on a regular basis. I, I am a really big fan also of the Instant Pot or the slow cooker for getting things done fast to save time on meal prep. You put stuff in the pot, turn it on, come back several hours later, it's done. So. I see Kelsey nodding with that as well. Kelsey, you wanna add anything to that variety I, slash meal prep? I do. Um, one of the strategies that I've implemented uh, over the last year or two is we have themes for the week. So we have a pork week, a chicken week, and a beef week. And we're beef mm -hmm. farmers, so our beef week is like every other week. Um, <laughs> but uh, so three to four meals that week will be um, a bunch of ground beef that I pre-cooked, um, a pork roast that I cooked, a bunch of chicken that I shredded. And I make all of that protein in bulk on a Sunday. And then because I enjoy cooking and because it's my like break from my kids when my husband's off work, I then make the meal that has about 30 to 35 minutes to get food made and on the table. But that protein portion is done. Um, and then it adds variety. So you're still doing a big bulk prep on the weekend, but you yeah. um, don't are eating the same thing week in and week out. And the other thing I will say too, to support uh, what Greg said, but also to kind of add something there, like you don't have to be an executive chef and you don't need to be like uh, putting like essence of lemon or orange peel and everything, but simple things like salt, pepper, some yeah. go-to spices, don't be afraid of spices. Like, I don't know where this came from, but um, we're afraid to season our food and mm. we have to be doing that to make it flavorful. My general recommendation is a tablespoon of spices per pound of meat. So um, okay. lots of flavor, adds lots of variety, keeps you from getting bored and it offers extra micronutrients. Sean, what do you have to say about the variety element? Anything to add to that? 
Uh, I mean, I like. I guess I can piggyback on kind of my style. I mean, I think Greg kind of talked about his Kelsey added like the bulk prepping. I go a little bit further than that. I actually bulk prep all of my carbs, veggies, protein, kind of everything's done, but I don't pre-mix it. And I used to do that, but like Greg said, not everybody. Some people just need more variety, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of like a variance guy. Like again, I can't. I can eat the same thing every day. It's just not preferable. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, I do what Kelsey said, like I bulk prep, um, you know, chicken, beef, pork, whatever, whatever it is. Like I've got like a pork shoulder that's going to go on the smoker today. I've got a bunch of chicken that's actually on the smoker right now. I think Um, I know where I'm eating dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you're welcome. Come on over. That sounds Um, fantastic. But like, I, I find that the, the act of cooking rice is annoying to me. So I get that done in big batches. I, I know that the act of cooking potatoes is annoying to me. So I get that done. Um, that way kind of it's all ready. And what I like to do is I actually put it all like, I don't, I don't microwave food. I find it repulsive. Um, so I actually cook everything on a skillet. Okay. But everything's already pre-cooked. So I kind of just, you know, add in a little bit of fat, add in the, the carbs, add in the protein. Uh, you know, weighing it out as I go, just that's what I like to do. Um, and my counter is a little dirty, but I have probably like seven different spices out right now. Okay. And that's just what I usually use in my pantry. I probably have 30 different other ones in there. And like Kelsey said, like I get variants just from different flavor profiles. So I don't overly season my meat when I'm prepping it, but I'll add those seasonings when I am kind of making the meal as I'm going through. Sure. Like, you know, today I feel like a little bit more spicy. Maybe tomorrow or the day after I feel like uh, maybe a little bit, you know, more rosemary or what have you. Sure. And again, like you don't need to be an executive chef. You don't need to know everything in the culinary world, but there are some really good spice mixes out there. Yeah. And just switching that up, at least for me, adds enough variance that it keeps me on track and it keeps me from going out all of the time to get something else. Yeah. I think like to that end, like just learning how to use acid fat to enhance your food, like not staying away from like balsamic vinegars or even apple cider vinegar and just understanding that adding a little acid to your food will greatly kind of expand your, your, your food profile and how it tastes. Sure, that sounds good. I would like to bring up um, one controversial thing you said here, microwaves are repulsive. <laughs> I feel like that's uh, something that you should get some heat on uh, from people. So I'm just gonna say it. No, uh, just kidding about that. I just so, don't like eating rubber. It's my, it's a weird thing. Oh, no, I get me. it, I get it, man. <laughs> I, I like to cook on the stovetop too. And I, w- I would definitely say, um, I would definitely say as opposed to what, what G and, and, and um, Kelsey have said here, is I like to cook stuff on more on the daily as well um, and, and have something that's a little spice up that day. And so my wife, she, she jokes that I'm always pulling out a pan on the stovetop rather than microwaving it just because I like to do it that way. Um, so you mentioned, uh, Sean, you, li- you mentioned bulk cooking rice or potatoes. Um, gee, for you, let's talk about, you, you mentioned your blend there of proteins to carbs to fats there. Let's talk about that a little bit, our macro blends. And um, if you wouldn't mind, just take a second here, G, at the very beginning. And for those who might not be as familiar with this stuff, explain the three macros. Yeah. So there's protein, there's carbohydrates, and there's there's fats. And you want to have all three. And any 
any healthy nutrition approach is probably going to involve at least some amount of all three your protein the building blocks of muscle and it's important for very other other key functions of the body carbohydrates the most ready source of energy to the body most easily metabolized into blood sugar or glucose and then dietary fats which certain functions of the body operate almost exclusively on fats heart is a, is one that tends to bias a little bit toward fat as a source so you need to have all three for healthy organ mind brain body function and so I, I like to have as many mental shortcuts as possible to make things go as quickly as possible when it comes to meal prep okay because, like i like to get meal prep done so i can enjoy the food i don't actually enjoy the process of okay. making food i think that's that's kelsey's specialty kelsey enjoys that process i like the outcome i like the food itself. you agree to that kelsey i love to cook yeah <laughs> so, so go ahead kelsey's anyway so like I, I like to get to the food but what one mental shortcut that i have it's just a, a really quick i don't know, heuristic to get to a, a healthy balanced meal is the idea of one third of plate is my protein source two thirds of plate vegetables prepared with all the spices in all the ways and all the sauteing or all the baking or whatever whatever is the most delicious and then some way somehow that's that's my my carbohydrate is the vegetable and then some way somehow i'm getting roughly a thumb-sized portion of dietary fat in there if i have a less lean meat like a chicken thigh or a fattier red meat a ribeye for example i assume the dietary fat that i need is built into the protein i just move on with it if it wasn't if i had a leaner meat like a chicken breast for example then i might saute the veggies in olive oil or avocado oil or ghee and that would infuse richness of flavor and the dietary fat that i need into into the veggies themselves and then just like that boom meal is balanced i know i'm hitting all the macros that i need in approximate ratios and meal is done and i can get back to eating it kelsey what about you uh based on g scales calculate we're going to call it the g scale scale can we how about that we call it the g scale scale i call uh, it the handy algorithm the handy pattern there you go so how do you how do you feel about that uh algorithm there yeah, I agree with it. Um, and that's when I work with clients, they hand out, they get a handout that shows this exactly on a plate. Um, and I call it my basic plate. And this is great for everyone. Um, where I start to differentiate a little bit is, again, I think we talked about this last time, what is the goal, right? Yeah. So if somebody's just wanting to create better habits and eat better and, and get uninflamed and live longer, this, this is the perfect um, ratio of everything. Um, if somebody wants specific body composition changes, specific performance, yep. like uh, they're trying to triathlon or cross a competition. Um, or if they're just somebody who needs the boundaries of tracking numbers, and some people mm -hmm. do, um, then I get into assigning macros based on their goals, height, body weight, all that, yep. that sort of stuff. So, um, so that kind of brings up kind of one of our next obstacles. Uh, you, you just mentioned tracking, paying attention, Let's talk about the social situations. So you're working with a client and, um, and we're going to kind of just lob this onto the table for all of you. So again, the three obstacles that we want to chat through today, specifically time. And I think you all hit those pretty well. It really has a lot to do with the meal prep on the front end of things. And then making sure that you honestly, as weird as it sounds, I think it's honor your body enough to take the time on a day-to-day -day basis. 
um, you know, honor your health, honor your body. What was that? You gave me the yes. Yeah, absolutely. So just a couple other thoughts as we as we yeah. uh, the, the temporal region here out, out of time. I, I we've talked a lot about strategies for actually doing meal prep on our own, but I don't want to stigmatize the idea of using meal prep services like locally. Clean Eats does a fantastic job of preparing healthy on-plan meals that meet most people's dietary needs and it can be customized as needed. Mm -hmm. I've had clients that do really well with meal prep services like HelloFresh or Ice Age meals. Sometimes there's a, some people like those meals better than others, but I don't wanna make them sound like they're a bad option for people that if you legitimately like, you spent the whole weekend at your family's Christmas get together and there just is not time to meal prep, then you can get meals for like seven bucks a meal right. made for you. That's not a bad option. That's not a bad option. So I want to be sure that we have that on the table as a possibility if you're if you are in a pinch. Kelsey, had Kelsey, yeah. I just I think that's a great point. And I want to add one more thing. I'm so glad you brought this up, G. Um, I also recommend to clients to make a plan B list and keep it in their phone or their paper planner um, of restaurants they can go to. So I'm a big fan of like Qdoba, Chipotle, Crazy Bowls and Wraps, places like that. You can get, you can adjust if you're just doing the uh, G-style basic plate. Um, perfect. You can get something there. You can also adjust macros. You can order in advance and have it picked up. I even had one client one time who had a crazy busy week. And we went in and designed a bowl at Qdoba and she went like ordered it, ordered seven of them, picked them up, put them in her fridge and she had seven dinners that night or that week. Yep. So um, it's a trade off between time and money. We're going to talk about money in a little bit, but yeah. it is it is okay to not do these. I'm a big fan of doing it yourself because I think that that is uh, best ingredient sustainable way. However, it's okay to take a pass on that when things get crazy. Sure. Uh, one of the one other question just with the time thing that came up for me as you were just talking there, Kelsey, is uh, the question of one of the other issues with time is three meals, four meals, six meals, many shots every two and a half, three hours, 100 calories every 12 hours. Like, What do you all recommend when it comes to, I have heard, I know somebody who did the 100 calories for 12 hours, like that was their planning. I was like, that just sounds stupid. But um, not to knock that person, I, you know, and if you're listening, pay no attention to what I just said there. Um, but what do you guys feel as far as, is it three squares a day? Is it four? Is it six meals? What, what's an ideal for you around the horn? Kelsey, how about you? Uh, one go, goes to back to what is the goal, right? So if I have somebody who has a performance competition coming up, uh, again, CrossFit competition, triathlon, something like that, we're eating more frequently, more often to build muscle, to get some energy and reserves. As a general rule, I don't recommend people be eating more than three, maybe four meals a day, because the more we snack, the more that gets our blood glucose firing. And um, mm -hmm. we want to keep those blood glucose levels even um, as even as we can. And then some people even do well with one meal a day. Um, again, I think it comes back to what is what is your goal and what is realistic for you? Sure. Cheese scale. Yep. There is really, really good data that supports that intermittent fasting is a fantastic way to get blood sugar under control. And I've seen people use intermittent fasting to fantastic effect. My wife is one that happens to be a really big fan of intermittent fasting. I have some good friends that are also really big fans of it. But toward what Kelsey said, what like there, there are a few things I would always consider when it comes to meal timing. One is your own psychology. Some people do really well with having restricted windows for, for feasting and then big windows for fasting. 
other people, when they get to that point where they're really, really hungry, that's when they are the most vulnerable to a binge and they're most mm -hmm. likely to make bad decisions. And we'll talk more about this a little bit later, but there is that aspect of decision fatigue that if you hold off all your eating until dinner time, when you've already exhausted all of your decision-making power, all of your thought process power, all of your energy is smoked, you're done, you've been dealt with kids and work and stress and COVID world and all the things, like for some people waiting until dinner time to eat is asking for trouble. Sure. So it depends on the psychology of the person. I'm a big fan of how psychology impacts eating patterns. And I guess it's, it's a rabbit hole we could go down. The short of it is, I think that for most people, a breakfast, lunch, and dinner is a really good starting point. But meal timing is absolutely a refinement that we can that we do dig into when we talk to people that once they've got their basic eating pattern dialed in, meal timing, carbohydrate timing, fat timing is a great way of sharpening the saw and further dialing in fat cutting, for example. I've done it myself too with carb timing. If I want to get my body fat percentage below 5%, there's some carb timing stuff you would do. But that's all refinements on a game that has to be really strong already. Yeah. So, so Sean, how about you on, on a, like a 30,000 foot view when you first attack with a new client, their plan, what, what's your typical strategy on total number of meals? Anything to add? Uh, not really. As long as it supports the, uh, the ability to be successful. Like I'm not going to have someone who just started working out eating six meals a day. Like it's going to be exhausting. Right. Yeah. And also like, I'm not going to have someone that's trained to go to the CrossFit game be two meals a day either, because that's, they're going to get exhausted from the, on the other side of that. So again, taking goals and like G said, the psychology of it into account, it's imperative. Like, you know, it's cooking like six meals a day from firsthand experience can be very exhausting. So I don't like, I think three is like a really good kind of entry level. But again, yeah. maybe some people just like four meals a day. You know, it's whatever the preference of the client is. Sure, sure. Okay. Um, so, again, with that in mind, though, you're working with your clients. Back to our back to our obstacles that we want to talk with, um, and they are. I mean, we just came out of the holidays, and everybody, I'm sure, is now saying, "Well, now I got to lose those extra seven, ten, twelve, fifteen, twenty-four pounds of December, whatever it might be for them." Um, but but there is a social element to are you the guy at the party who's standing there not touching food or have your sweet potato hash on the side while everybody else is enjoying fattier or fried foods? Um, how do we deal with the 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 peer pressure or the pushback or the resistance from family and friends? Um, how do you help your clients navigate that? Because it's a very real obstacle that people encounter when they're trying to lose that stubborn 15 or 40 even pounds, how do they deal with that pressure and, and um, socially? Gee, let's start with you on this one. What, what's kind of your first rolling advice with that stuff? Yeah, and this is, I'm very, very passionate about this topic. And you may have to like, you know, cut me off. I start talking to Blue Streak on this because I, I think that, that people that don't, have food issues or don't perceive that they do often don't realize how their behavior creates temptation or can create problems for those who do have food issues and some people you know their 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 mom or their sister or their friend is constantly badgering them about losing weight 
but then they also get offended when they turn down X, Y, or Z foods. And there's a thousand variations of this. Like my grandmother makes me X, Y, Z because that's how she expresses love and she, she gets hurt if I decline this. Right. And that becomes an issue. Or you know, you have the you have the the mother that's dealing with a thousand things and kids and work, and they don't want to make two different meals when dinner time rolls around. Ah. And how do you navigate that? Right. This is also a problem. Right. Or I don't want to have to eat something different than my friends when we go out. Or I don't want to be the only person eating X or eating Y. Or I don't want to be the only person not drinking when we go out. Or my husband or wife doesn't want to change how they eat. Sure. Or my kids don't eat X, my kids don't eat Y. So I feel like it's gonna be a real struggle for me to start eating X or Y. Or my friends are gonna give me so much shit if I go on this diet, right? right. There's right. a thousand variations of the problem. I thought it was important to kind of characterize some of the things that people are up against when they're trying to eat healthier in the social environment. Yeah. So, so Kelsey, uh, wanna toss anything into that table here? I can't hear you. Oh, she's having trouble hearing. Uh, Sean, while she's while she's getting her sound issues solved, anything that uh, how, how do you help your clients deal with the social obstacles? Yeah, I think I mean, first and foremost, other than say don't care about what people think. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the easiest one, right? Right, right. Um, I think there's kind of there's two different social scenarios. There's like the obviously like going out to a friend's and drinking, which I actually found um, my my partner and I found ourselves in just the other day. And it's funny because we had this conversation last podcast, like it's, it's so hard to tell someone that you don't want to drink and then you automatically go into, oh, well, I'm not doing it because of this reason. Right. And I heard, I heard Amanda like kind of go into that and I was like, huh, we were just talking about this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's definitely, you definitely, in any situation like that, people are like, you're not tonight. You're yeah. Not right. you, go, well, like, you, you don't owe them an explanation. Like, right. It's just, Hey, I'm just not doing it. And it really should be the end of it. Unfortunately, that's not always the world we live in. Right. There's also this social obstacle in that, like, you know, you're looking at like a mother of four, a married mom of four, right. Whose spouse isn't in line with them and eating and wanting to eat. Like I've, I've got a client whose husband brings home Taco Bell every day. Right. So that's another kind of social obstacle in and of itself. Sure. sure. Um, I think kind of just to start, like, I think it's, you don't, you, you don't always realize how the choices and the, the lifestyle that you're adopting is going to impact those around you in, sure. for the, you know, in the positive sense, right? Like it, it might not happen immediately, but if you, if you allow your motivation and your discipline to kind of push through that initial barrier, more times than not, your husband, your wife, your kids—they see how your how how your lifestyle is affecting you in a positive way, and how the the progress you're making, how much better you look, how much better you feel, and now all of a sudden they are starting to see some motivation, and they're starting to kind of pick sure. up you. So I think that first and foremost is it's not the easiest answer, right? And a lot of it is just you know kind of boils down to just keep doing it, but hopefully like people hear that and they they understand that there is hopefully some light at the end of the tunnel yeah like i i don't believe that any one person doesn't want to be healthy i think that's a goal of almost all humans you know there are obviously exceptions to everything but i think that for someone to kind of take that initial step they have to understand it in their own way like me just telling Dallas that hey if you do this you're going to be healthy 
that might not work for you. But if like seeing, if you seeing your wife making these, these very easy and manageable changes, and now you're seeing her vibrant and healthy and just radiating, yeah. now it starts to trick, you know, trigger something in your brain. And now you want to start kind of following through with her. So I think, I guess that's kind of my input there. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, so Kelsey, what do you say? Uh, I, I know you were having some audio trouble, so you might not have heard the very beginning of what Sean said, but with, um, he mentioned that he has one client whose spouse brings home Taco Bell the other, all the time. What do you do in a familial situation um, where, where you might be eating, or like you're cooking for your family? I'm assuming everybody's eating what mama makes, but um, but what do you do when it's reversed? What do you do when um, you're not necessarily, when, when one spouse isn't necessarily on the bandwagon and the other one is, how do you, how do you deal with that even in a home food prep, all of that stuff? So, sorry, I had my audio drop and it's still kind of connecting a little bit, but so it sounded like you asked, um, what do you do when you're at home and your spouse or your family isn't on board, right? It, yeah. Isn't eating, isn't eating necessarily the same thing that your nutrition coach has you putting in? Yeah. So my first encouragement here would be, um, I've been there. I was a chronic dieter for the first 20 years of my life, 26 years of my life, probably from the moment I could figure out food, like six or seven, right? Like I was aware of what I was eating. So, um, Remember that when you come home with a nutrition change, the first thing you want to think about is maybe put yourself in your spouse or your kid's shoes. How many times have you done this before? How many times have you said, Monday, we're going to start this new thing? Um, when I was growing up, I watched lots of dieting happening in my family and immediate family. And I knew that if I just waited long enough or pushed back hard enough, it would get taken away, right? Like, we don't have to do this anymore. Mm. Um so my encouragement would be is be gentle about it with the people in your lives. Make it about you first, right? Like, hey, I really want to make some changes. I'm going to be doing this. How can I bring you in with this, right? And understand that just because you're ready to make a change doesn't mean that, that they are ready to make a change that, at that point. So um, getting people on board a lot of times means you have to move the needle first and have sure. them come along. So um, when I went paleo the first time, when I, I've been paleo for a long time, but when I first went paleo, my husband was like, fine, um, but I'm not going to stop drinking beer. I'm not going to stop eating pizza and I'm not going to stop eating bread. And you sure. know what? Like that was hard, a little hard, but you can build meals around that. Right. And still to this day, that's sort of his approach. Right. So I will make a meal and have a side of bread. Or if we have burgers, I bring bread for him and the kids so they can have it. Sure. Um, if I have spaghetti, they have noodles. I have zoodles. Those, all of these little things that you can adjust I make, I recommend making one main meat portion and then adjusting your sides to be able to meet their needs. I didn't mean to uh, chuckle there when you said noodles and zoodles, but my, every time I hear that <laughs> sentence, my mind goes to a Dr. Seuss thing. Um, I don't know why, <laughs> I don't know why. it just happens in my brain. Uh, welcome to my world, everybody. Um, so <laughs> another quick question, and, and this one, this one you may not all be prepped for, um, but with regard to this social element as well, Let's talk about the client who's lost the big amount of weight, 30, 40 pounds. And now they're in a social environment where maybe they've made this big shift over the last year to two years, but now they're coming in with, how do you help them identify as a new healthy person rather than feel like, well, everybody's seen me lose this big amount of weight. Now am I, are they watching what I'm eating now? 
How do you help them shift that? Because I do know that, that some people have experienced that. So Kelsey, you're nodding. So I'm going to talk to you first. How do you help people overcome the, is everybody watching what I eat, what I'm eating now since they saw me lose all this weight? So here's the, here's an uncomfortable fact, right? Like they probably are watching you because you've lost all this weight because you are successful because you've done something that maybe they really want to do and haven't figured out how to make that work for them. So they might be thinking about that or watching that. Um, I recommend cutting it off at the pass and having a conversation with people ahead of time. If you're going somewhere where they'll be food, talk to the host, say, Hey, listen, I don't respond well to grains or sugar or bread. So um, is there something I can bring to, to help you sure. so have to accommodate me like this? Um, and other than that, I would say what I tell people is to bask in that, right? Like you've achieved something really good. And rather than thinking people are watching you because they're mad or somehow they want you to fail, like be like, look at, look at how I can make this work in my life and really own that change that you yeah. work really hard for. Sean, you had mentioned, um, you had mentioned that you had gone out and you guys weren't drinking and then, uh, and then what happens in like three, four months when you hit your targets or your goals and you're out with that same group of friends and you're like, yeah, I'll have a beer or two this time. What is, what is that? Uh, what do you say to the client who's looking at social pressure? Like, oh, wait, he wasn't drinking. Now he is. What's going on with that? Um, it's, it's funny. Though. So I've actually gone through, I was vegan for pretty much my entire early adult life. So I've been in this, this scenario before, like, oh, now he's eating meat. Like what, what's going on? Why does he hate animals all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and a lot of like, I think it's important to recognize that like you, if you're at this stage, like you've put in a lot of hard work. Um, and in all honesty, like it kind of depends on where the client's at. Like if you're on, like if you're more switching into like maintenance mm -hmm. stuff and you're not kind of going through a cut, like you, you put in the work, you get to enjoy that and you have these good habits already. Like, and that's that's a conversation you can have with people like yeah like you know the the process in and of itself looks like this now that i'm here i can indulge a little bit here and there without having to worry about it sure because i mean really what as as a nutrition coach you're helping your client build habit right yeah. that's that's the the basis of what we do like it's yes we do end up getting them to lose weight or gain weight or hit their performance goals or what have you but and maybe I might just be speaking for myself. I don't want someone to have to pay me forever. Like I want them to be able to go out into the real world with their friends and their family and be able to enjoy themselves Sure. because they have a habitual sense set and established in their behavior patterns and they know what to do in certain situations. Sure. I think it kind of, it allows them to open up that conversation with the friends, with the family and just, again, kind of inform them that, Hey, this is what I did yeah. I'm here and I can have a little bit more fun and a little bit more leniency. Got it. Uh, G scale. What do you want to add to that? Any thoughts on the yeah. end, end of end of cut maintenance, uh, social pressure? Well, uh, Sean had just referenced there, like the, the, some of the struggles that people have when it comes to trying to integrate this into the social part of their lives. And, mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier, like I get extremely passionate about this topic and I have a lot of thoughts on it and you guys, can, you can cut me off if you need to, but I've, I have seen so often that the social circle becomes the unraveling of 
what was a wonderful snowball of positive effect that was just it was they're doing so well and then a spouse a partner uh, kids friends it becomes the undoing yeah and i think it's so important that if you're going to be embarking on this journey nobody knows your social circle as well as you do and if you know that some people are apt to have some pushback or some resistance on the topic, it's very, very important to have a conversation with those people at the start. Say, hey, make your feelings, your intentions known. Maybe let your struggles be known. As I'd said before, a lot of people who either they're not, they don't perceive they have nutrition struggles or they, they don't have nutrition struggles can be extremely, I don't know, unempathetic to people that do have those struggles. And in a lot of ways, they will unintentionally sabotage people who are naturally prone to not doing well with nutrition. So it's really helpful if you're gonna embark on a, in a healthy eating journey to tell those people that you love and who mean the best, say, hey, I need to make these changes so I can fill in the blank. It's important to me and I need you on my team. So yeah. would you help me? And, and would you help me to keep blank food out of our home or to avoid XYZ restaurant so that I don't find myself tempted? And, and related to all of this, I think it's really important that we are not characterizing people as being weak-willed. Like if they have poor eating patterns, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are weak-willed. Sometimes they are, but a lot of times they're a product of an environment that simply promotes shitty eating habits. Sure. And when you're eating on autopilot without a plan, it's very easy to eat poor quality, non-nourishing foods because they are everywhere. They're everywhere. And nobody has an infinite supply of willpower. We all have a finite amount. It is depleted by the end of the day. And you know, I believe that's why most poor decision-making when it comes to food happens at night or dinner time. It's because by the time you get to dinner time, family, work, stress, COVID, the whole thing, like you're exhausted. There is no decision-making power left, especially good decision-making power. And then you're most prone to faltering to whatever is the easiest available solution, be it fast food or, sure. or otherwise. Sure. Yeah. I think that's good. I think, um, Kelsey, I saw you nodding along there. Anything you wanted to add it there at the end? Uh, I think that uh, G did a great job with that. I do want to add one thing while we're talking about this social um, co topic. Um, and I want to bring it back to kids real quick because kids are really hard when it comes to making healthy eating changes. Um, and I want to really encourage parents out there and remind them that, yes, as parents, it is our job to offer our children healthy, nutritious foods but in equal importance. And I even think when your kids are young, this is maybe more important than offering nutritious food, like, like a little bit more important, but more important is creating a positive eating environment. Like how many of us lived in a house with like constant dieting and snack wells and diet Coke and really- um, Snack wells. Poor food yes, poor food behavior. Um, so, so I think it's more important to create a positive environment for our kids. Um, so I encourage parents, again, to put the healthy food on the table, but maybe put a few other sides, right? Like, again, like make one main dish and then make two or three, two, maybe two side dishes um, and put it on the table. And all your kid eats that meal is bread, but they come to the table and they have a pleasant time. Yeah. They're going to 
disassociate through the stress and be more and more willing to try new things as they see everybody else around our family do it. So, um, again, feed them nutritious foods, offer them nutritious foods, but um, also create a low stress feeding environment, which is very important for the parenting. I think that's good. Yeah. Um, thank you. That's that's good stuff, guys. So um, again, everybody, we're talking about some understanding and clarifying of our nutritional obstacles and really the three obstacles we've been hitting on here today. Uh, the first one is time. I think we, we spent a good chunk, <laughs> no pun intended, a good chunk of time uh, on that particular one. And then now some of the social obstacles. And Kelsey, I loved what you said there to parents. I think that's a great encouragement to them. So, so good on you on that one. Um, the, another big one. And Sean, I'm going to toss it at you here first is this idea of money. I don't have the money to eat healthy. I don't have, I can't afford because health food is more expensive. The gluten-free options, the, this option, the, that option is always more expensive. So let's toss it at you first. And other than just saying it's total BS, what, <laughs> what would be some of the obstacles that you hear uh, with your clients with regard to money? Well, Dallas, I'm glad you asked. It's total BS. <laughs> I knew uh, you were going to do it. <laughs> and all honestly, the the money, the money obstacle is a is a very well understood one from my perspective because it's it's something I like as I got into healthy eating and nutrition. It's it's an obstacle that I faced, and it's it's something I had to kind of come to terms with. Um, now. Now that I have more experience with it, and this is where having a coach can really, really help, is eating healthy is almost always less expensive than eating out all the time. Um, you can definitely make it more expensive, right? Like you brought up like gluten-free options and, you know, you start getting into like milk replacements and egg replacements and all of this kind of this this nuancey kind of foods out there. But when you're looking at nutritious eating, like the, the general guideline is follow the perimeter of the store and you're probably going to be okay. The stuff around the perimeter, the stuff that you actually have to cook is almost always less expensive than, you know, a double bacon cheeseburger from McDonald's. Well, and even, even just the boxed items in aisles three through eight, are tend to be more expensive too. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, then that's that's exactly what I'm getting at is as you start to get comfortable and you start to get that experience actually making yourself food, that cost goes way down. Yeah. Not only that, but you're now eating more too, right? Generally speaking, from a volume perspective. Sure. Because the the stuff that you have to make, the vegetables, the the meats, it's not as calorically dense as the fast food stuff. So now you're not only fuller and more satiated, but you're also spending less money and you realize that very, very quickly. And again, this is, this is where having a coach helps because that's where a coach can kind of steer you towards the right things and then kind of steer you away from the things that do end up lending themselves to costing more in the long run. You, you said, you said a term there. Um, and gee, I'm going to throw this one at you. Uh, Sean just mentioned there, caloric density. Can you talk about that for just a second? And what he, when he was referencing vegetables versus a cheeseburger? Sure. And I actually might, um, I might rephrase it as nutritional density. Like okay. the, the amount of nourishment you get from the food. 
you know, a, a lot of people believe that they have an overeating problem, that they eat too much food and that is the core of the problem. But if what you are eating is not nourishing, your body recognizes the difference. And so you can eat a low quality fast food meal and then shortly thereafter, you're hungry again because yeah. your body is still sending signals. Hey, I still need these vitamins, these minerals, these nutrients to meet my needs. You want my brain to function at this level. You want my body to right. function at this level. And I still haven't gotten, I ate all that food. Right. But I still haven't gotten the fuel that I need for being awesome at stuff. Sure. And so your body starts screaming at you again for the next meal versus Sean's scenario where you're actually preparing nutritionally dense food, foods that is, are nourishing to your body, which when you're preparing your own meals almost across the board, it's going to be more nutritionally dense. You're getting a lot more nourishment from that meal. And it's going to last you a lot longer. Meaning you have that meal, you're going to be full, satiated, satisfied for a longer time period. Sure. Um, so there's that. So, and then when you're preparing your own meals versus going to a restaurant, paying for tip, paying for DoorDash, right. it is certainly less expensive. It is certainly yeah. less expensive. Uh, Kelsey, I see you nodding along there. Um, talk about talk about the money obstacle as as to how you help your clients realize spend less to eat more. <laughs> yeah, um, that's. I mean, I think that's exactly right. Like processed packaged food may have a lower price tag initially, but then when you think about how much you need to eat to get satiated, um, it's really like it's less expensive. Also you don't need to buy gluten-free box mixes of cookies, right? Like they're still not that great for you. Um, you don't need to buy organic fruits and vegetables. Um, you don't need to buy the highest end of everything, especially when you're get, getting started. Some meat and vegetables are perfect. It's the 80 to 20% rule. Like 80% of that is going to be, 80% of your gains are going to be gotten through just switching to meats, vegetables, some fruit and good fat. Sure. Um, the rest of the 20% you can fill out with organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, whatever, whatever, as you see fit. Um, and the other thing I would add is make sure you're looking where you're shopping. Like if money is an issue, go to Aldi, right? Go to Walmart. Don't yeah. go to Deerberg. Don't, don't go to Fresh Time. I love those stores, but they are not, they are not the cheap ones for sure. 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 You, always, you always pay for health one way or the other. Like you either pay for it early by investing in healthy foods which are less expensive or you pay for it down the line with increased medical costs but the difference is your quality of life along the way and yeah. i tell you there's there's nothing that'll make you feel amazing and look amazing and actually be empowered to do awesome stuff more than eating in a healthy way sure well and if you think about it um i'm, I'm just looking up here as we're as we're talking um a fast food meal typically costs around $7 and that's one meal through the day. And it's typically not very nutritionally rich. And it's about, it's over a thousand calories, 1500 calories. Some of them by the t time you add in the fries and things like that. So when you think about that versus $7 of what you're going to get in fruits and vegetables, you can, you can get a lot more food, a lot more bang for your buck when it comes to that. So I think that's a very important thing. Um, the, the money issue to um, typically that seems to be the last obstacle for people. It's like they blame it on that. 
but it sounds like from what from what you all are saying here is um, you line up the fact that you get people in the mindset of thinking they've got the time to do this. And then you've got the social structure or the support in place to make these decisions. Then the money is really kind of a small, small monster, so to speak, is what it kind of sounds like. Because once you engage them to thinking, um, hey, go load up on vegetables and healthy meats and things like that, it, it's, it's a cheaper option. And um, I, I think, G, to your point, everybody might not be thinking about the medical cost 10 years from now. But um, but that's a definite thing that uh, as you're stretching the gap for your clients, um, when it comes to these obstacles, and again, I'm just going to put them up here, time, social, or money, we're, we're about out of time here for our, our episode today, but is there anything else that any of the three of you would like to add to this part of the conversation? Yeah, I can throw out a, like a closing thought. Um, yeah. There's a, there's a sense of planning, failing to plan is planning to fail. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think just with a little bit of extra, I mean, we talked about time spending 15, 20 minutes, just writing out a plan kind of, it, it really helps kind of stretch that, that idea further. Right. Not only does it save you money because I mean, who here, I think we can probably all say that we've all gone to the grocery store and found something that we had no intention of buying, but you're a little hungry and it looks good. And now by the time you get to the checkout line, you've got 10 different items that you have no real use for. Sure. So for me, like one thing I do every single time is I have my grocery list. I know where to go for those things. I don't browse. I go in, I get my stuff and I get out. And then that also helps me not have to deal with the people at Walmart, which <laughs> is um, But also, you know, I mean, you can also plan for like, you know, you've got your new year's coming up, I guess is our next holiday. Right. You've got New Year's coming up. Like, what is your plan going into the the friends situation, right? What is your, how are you planning on dealing with the social pressure? And, you know, what is your plan leading up to there? Like, are you going to give in, drink an entire bottle of champagne and then eat 40 pizzas? Or are you going to limit yourself? Are you going to, you know, load up on a really healthy, vegetable-rich, meat-rich meal before you go so that you're, you know, you are satiated. You're not going there starving, looking for the crappy food. Um, and how are you going to play? Like, are you planning on how you're going to answer these questions that you know are going to come up? So I think making sure you have a really good plan and goals going into each week is really, really important for the long-term success. That's good. Uh, Coach Kelsey, any, any final thoughts on that as well? Um, I think those are all excellent points. Um, the only thing I would add to that, like um, failure to plan is planning to fail, but it's okay if you fail, right? Like failing isn't the opposite of success. It's a part of it. So sure. rather when we have these setbacks, um, so maybe you do plan to go and have this great, like on plan New Year's Eve and you end up with the bottle of champagne and 40 pizzas. Um, it doesn't mean that you disqualify yourself from living your best life. Like you just have to get back on that. You have to find a system to get yourself back at it. The very next, next option that you have that chance to. I think that's important too. And I think, um, and gee, you have said this to me personally, which is you, you failed today. Don't wait till next Monday to get back. on. Don't be like, well, the week is a wash. No, that meal or that day was a wash. Get back on the horse immediately. Um, so yeah, you said that any, any final thoughts from you, G? Yeah. Healthy eating done right is awesome. Tastes amazing. And it's actually not that hard to do. The, the part that's hard 
is taking the healthy eating principles and figuring out how to implement it into the complex, messy world that is our lives. And having a coach makes it a thousand times easier. You can actually you can bring in a coach and they can help you solve that problem so you don't have to figure it out yourself. Like on this conversation, we probably have decades of experience yeah. in these conversations. There's there's probably not a problem that we have not solved by this point. If you just if you want somebody else just to solve the nutrition, you know, puzzle for you, just hire a coach. Let them do it for you. Yeah. And uh, that's, I think everybody that, if you're if you're listening to us here, I think, uh, as G just said, you've got three coaches right here. You got Coach Kelsey Albers. You can reach out to her at Kelsey Albers. That's awesome. Uh, then we got Coach Sean, at Sean Michael, but, uh, but his W's, some of his vowels are V's. So you can read that here, but um, that's available to you as well. And then of course, G Skell at CrossFit Edwardsville. You can reach out to any of them on social media they obviously they do have the decades experience for you um i think this was a fantastic conversation everybody uh, i want to say thank you to each of the coaches um sean thank you so much kelsey thank you g skell thank you so much um for the conversation today uh again no food pun intended here but very rich in information um, so, and I'm seeing all of your smiles at my bad puns. So, um, so everybody, just a reminder really quickly, CrossFitEdwardsville.com is available as a resource for you. There's eBooks, there's downloads, and there's access to these three amazing coaches that you can connect with. And of course, we would love to share, uh, some fitness with you. We love to move with excellence at CrossFit Edwardsville. So we invite you to come and check out a class with us as well. And, um, Coaches, again, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. Really appreciate all three of you. Thank you, Dallas. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, everybody, I hope you go out there today, CrossFitEdwardsville.com. But in the meantime, have a championship day. I was waiting for it. There it is.